1: looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons. Listen now as Stan makes it clear.
2: A number of years ago, I wanted to begin our year at our church instead of all the messages that we've been giving on practical Christian life and theology is as important as they are, so we're not minimizing that, I wanted to begin every year with our heart really turned toward the Lord because our basic belief is our intimacy with the Lord fuels our outreach for the Lord. And we always do communion the first Sunday of the month, and so I thought that's a perfect way to begin is to make sure that we have a heart that's turned toward Him and at the same time to remember that In order for us to be right with the Lord, we need to be right with one another. And I thought, hmm, what would be a good visual for that? And I thought by putting the table here. So most of you that can see this table, you're looking at the table, and I hope that's one of the first things that you see, because we want to look at Jesus Christ. But then, if we look a little bit further past the table, because you are now looking at this table, there are people on the other side of the table. Am I right? Now, don't those people look really funny? I mean, don't they look, you know, interesting? But anyway, they're on the other side of the table. So when I look at the communion, in the sense, I'm going to be looking at Christ. But while I look at him, I remember that he died on that cross and rose again for our sin, but also the sins of the people on the other side of the room or next to us or behind us. And so while we worship him, we also then want to take that worship of him and love others by communicating that message of salvation to them. And so that's why we do this particular visual, although really it's going to be that time of communion. You'll notice that I'm titling this message a new beginning and I think it doesn't take a rocket scientist to know why I'm calling it a new beginning. For one reason, it's the first Sunday of the year, so we get a chance to get a new beginning. One of the Christmas presents that Carol likes, and she's so easy to please, is she wanted to have a new calendar. How many of you got a new calendar for Christmas? So she has a new calendar because she's got new dates to put on it for a new beginning and the things that she's going to be doing, like most of you. But on a more serious note, as I look over our group here today, I know that some of you are not just going to have a new particular event like uh, a jubilee like we're going to have. Your new beginning is going to be huge. Your new beginning is going to be getting married this year, and that's going to be a big deal to you because it's a new experience. It's not going to be without its uh, wonderful wine and roses, but at certain times there's going to be the little bumps in the road that uh, you'll have some challenges. But for you, that's a new beginning. I also know that in our church, we've got some ladies that are going to have a new baby. Some are going to have a new baby for the first time, and boy, that's going to be a wake-up call for you as well. And some of you that already had children, you're going to have another child, you might be thinking in your mind, well, you know, I've already had a kid, it won't be any different than this. I'm going to tell you, every child is a little different than the other children, so it's going to be a new beginning for you. And then some of you are going to have a new beginning in your life because you're new on the island, And you're going to experience new food, new sights, new sounds, new smells, new tastes, new experiences in your life. And so you get a new beginning as well. Some of you are going to get what we might call a a new boss. I don't know who that might be, but you may get a new supervisor. You may be transitioned out or you may be transitioned over, but you're going to get a new boss. And something that is very significant for our faith family here is this. In a month, you are going to get a new pastor in this church. And so you're going to have a new beginning with a new pastor and his wife and children as well. Now, that doesn't have to be bad. It's just a divine, sovereign act of God that gives you a new beginning for this church. Well, the message that I'm going to leave with you today is a message that has been percolating in my heart for many, many months, probably as far back as July when we were making the decision that now would be the time to do that transition. And where I'm really going with this is this. I hope you're really connecting to it. And that is that, (coughs) excuse me, is that I would like to have all of us with a new beginning to be all that God would have us to be as a church. So when the new pastor arrives and he takes full um, spiritual leadership of the church, that we would give him the very best faith family we possibly could give him because he, too, is going to get a new beginning. He's getting a new beginning in a new area, a new body of believers. And frankly, he's going to be a senior pastor for the first time. So it's a new beginning for him to be where the buck stops here kind of thing. And so we want to make sure we give him the very best that we can give. Now, lest you think that I'm on the outside pointing my finger at all of you that are going to have babies or get married or get new bosses or new location on the island or a new pastor, you know, obviously, that I'm going to have a new beginning as well. And so this message is as much for me as it would be for you. And that's why I've been living in this message for so many months. In fact, as I drilled deeply in Scripture, and I was going from Genesis to Revelation in it, I felt like I could almost write a book on this. Not that I'm an expert on it, but that there's so much material that I can't really put it into a 20 or a 40 minute message. There's just so much that's there. So what I hope to do now is try to reduce the voluminous amount of Scripture as well as biblical principles down to four words. You know, our program is called Make It Clear, and I'm going to try to take all this truth and make it as clear as I can with four words. Now, I don't want to oversimplify it, because when I give you that word, if you just meditate on that word, and those of you that know Scripture, you're going to find that there's a whole lot of verses around that one verse, and it'll even give you greater meaning. Now, on the other side, some of you are going to listen to this because you're listening with ears to say, is he right there? What about that? I don't know if it agrees with this. Is this the right, blah, 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 blah. And you're going to take it all in theologically, which I hope you do, but you may bypass it all to say, so what? What does this mean to you? What are you going to do with the new beginning that you're going to get? And by the way, it's not so much that you don't have a choice. You do have a choice. And that's the choice either to enter into the new beginning the way God would have us all to or to see what God does and bump along in our new beginning in life. So I hope this message will really speak to you like it has to me. So with that new beginning, I'm going to give you my first of four words. I'm going to talk a little bit about some of the background of the verses and then give you the principle. But the first one is, if I'm getting ready for a new beginning, then I need to make sure that my heart is clean before the Lord. So I need to go through a time of real confession. So my first word up there is confession, and I've given you the verse... It seems like a verse that most of you have memorized. If not, you probably have it underlined in your Bible. And it basically says, if we confess our sins, that means to name them as they are, to God, the way he sees them to be. He is faithful and righteous, or just in some translations, to forgive us. That means to release us, give us a do-over. Forgive us our sins, and then to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, that's a really neat little verse, but you really won't feel the impact of that until you feel the impact of this. And that is the absolute essentiality, that we need to be clean before the Lord and make sure that our sins are really confessed before Him. Some of you are going to read that and you're going to say, that's right, we really do need to do that, and I sure hope my wife's doing that. You know, It's for us, it's for us right now, how important that really is. When I look at that confession of sin, that means naming it as God names it in my life. Most everything I'm going to share with you today, these four points, If I took you to the Old Testament and we had enough time to go through, especially Ezra, Nehemiah, and Daniel alone, you're going to find that these four messages, these four points rather, are all coming after a time of, in the Word or a word from God, a Word-based motivation. And so when we want to confess our sins, it's for a moment right now, maybe climb out of ourselves and then look at ourselves through the eyes of God. Now I know he loves us, I know he's merciful, I know he's gracious, but let's not forget that he is also holy and he's also a judge because he's a God of justice, who he is. So what I'd like you to do for just a moment in your own heart, in your own life, if you don't mind, take that little candle, and I want you to take it inside of you and kind of poke it around into every little recess of your soul, every emotion. Poke it around in your mind, your thought patterns that you might have had. And all that you already know of Scripture, is there some passage of Scripture, some biblical principle that the Spirit of God is bringing to your mind right now to bring some conviction to it? Will you let Him do it? Some of you are doing it and I still don't see it. Well, let me also encourage you to do this. Listen to the voice of God. Now, it will not be an audible voice, but there will be a conviction from the Spirit. Here's a very interesting truth that I found out as I was going through this study. In the Bible, there was a time that David now, it said that uh, he was prompted, we know later on by Satan, to number, take a census of all the children of Israel. So he had his associate pastor, Joab, his associate military guy, and he said, Joab, I want you to go and I want you to number all the people because I want to know how many people, especially the guys that can be for war, but I want to know all the numbers. And Joab which was a very good associate, says, I don't think you should do that. David, you ought not to do that. That's not the right thing to do. The Lord didn't tell you to do that. And David, being the head hog at the trough, still said to Joab, you've got to go do that. So Joab, working under authority, disagreed, made his appeal, did it anyway. He went out, and he never finished the job because he was so convicted that it was wrong to do that, that he left out two tribes, two groups of people, he didn't do that. When he came back, David then said he was so guilty Over this. And that guilt really came from another passage in another one of the Old Testament references that it was then that God spoke to him and said, What you did was wrong. So I'm linking those two together, and I want you to look at your own life. And I'm not trying to put you on a guilt trip, but I am trying to let guilt be something to let you know that there could be something wrong, though. It's like when you touch the stove, it's hot. I don't want you to leave your hand on the stove. I want you to remove it, but at the same time realize. I'm hurting right now. Now some of you might still be struggling with some areas in your life. So the men have met for almost a year studying probably the three greatest sins that men face. One of them was greed. This idea that I need more, whether it's power, position, possessions, or something. They're very greedy. They wanted something. It's in the line of covetousness. In fact, Scripture even calls that you're on the verge of idolatry. They're so greedy with this. And maybe some of you are greedy, wanting more for yourself but you're compromising your relationship with the Lord. I'm talking to Christians now. You won't lose your salvation, but you are compromising that inner peace and the power that God has for your life. So could it be that you have jumped on the train of greed because you just want more more and more and more and more and more and it will not bring you any happiness? And you know that. I don't have to preach that to you. Here's the second sin we discovered with the guys. And that second sin was bitterness. Now, bitterness really starts out by getting wounded. Someone says something you don't like, and you kind of get over it after a while, or you avoid the person. But if you have to be around them a lot, or that person isn't a controlling factor in your life, like a supervisor or something, after it moves from the wounded, then it moves into the bitter spirit. And bitterness is where now, in some measure, you would rejoice that this person would get gone out of your life, or something bad would happen to that person. And you carry that bitterness with you. But you're mature enough with your ability to function. You don't shoot them. You don't run them over with your car. You're way beyond all of that in your character. But you still are able to do sin management. So you function with that person, and you still are with them. But that bitterness spews out in conversations you have with your mate, with your children, with your parents, with your friends, with your workmate, with your fellow student. Because it's there. That bitterness is there. And the abundance of the heart, that bitterness... The mouth speaks, Scripture says. So maybe there's that bitterness that's going on. And Scripture even really puts it in our face when it says that if you let bitterness there, it'll defile many. So while you think you can own your own bitterness and it's okay to have it, you have the right to do that, he hurt you, you have that bitterness, and you even want to get back with him and you think it's only between him and you, that's not the case. It's going to affect everybody that's around you. And so then we move from the bitterness to something you know where I'm headed. And that's moral impurity. And in the world in which we live today, it's everywhere. I mean, you're just allowed to watch all of this moral impurity stuff that's out there. It's interesting. I hate to even admit this to you. But um, a few years ago, I watched a Western, a, a current, I want to say a current Western, a current produced Western in our time, you know. It was so filled with violence, vulgarity, hatred. Can I say uh, the immorality was flowing everywhere? That Carol and I had to just shut that thing off. We just couldn't watch it any longer. Well, Carol has been ill, so she's been home, and we haven't been able to go very many places. And we found an old Western from the 50s with Jimmy Stewart. I was absolutely amazed that they had they had a you know a bar girl there, but there was no immoral activity. There was no bad language, etc. Now I'm not trying to flag fly the flag of Jimmy Stewart, what I am trying to tell you is though, our world is on a slippery slope and we're moving faster and faster, so much so that I think we're far numb to that. I think the people are more shocked when they come from the mainland, they go to the beach here and they think, look at how they dress. We go to the beach here, we don't even see that any longer. Or do we? And so it moves from the greed to the bitterness to the moral impurity and I didn't even tell you what probably the biggest sin on top of all of that is, is the sin of pride. And we can go on and on. And I'm not here trying to beat you up with all this sin. What I am trying to do is to let you know that we are dirty. It is very easy for us to get dirty in the world in which we live. And the dirt starts from the inside out. And we need to kind of get rid of all of that. Let me just uh, use one little illustration. Um, I don't get a chance to go to the beach very often, but sometimes I do. And and when I do go to the beach, I I, I get in the water and I... You know, we, I one of my one of the guys in college here, Caleb, we went out to have a, a pastor-student talk, and we were supposed to go boogie board, and we got so far out, I think we rode one wave, and the rest of the time all we did was just talk and talk and talk and talk and talk. I had the most wonderful conversation until we floated all the way to Molokai. I don't know. But anyway, we, we were way out there and had to get back in, and <clears throat> so I came in, I, you know how you feel gungy, and, you're, and so here we are taking this ice-cold shower, and I felt so good, I felt so good. And then I got home, and Carol said, you going to take a shower? And I said, no, no, I had one. She said, no, no, you're going to get a shower if you're going to get in my bed, you know. So I got a shower. Now, why am I telling you that? I'm telling you that because for us, sometimes we as Christians, we're not dirty like the world, and we just take our little quickie showers, but we really don't do a full-fledged, deep, cleansing shower of confession you'd be amazed in Scripture just over and over again how important that was. So I would like to leave you with three passages of Scripture. We won't have time to turn there, but some of you that really would like to do this study, the three individuals I'd like you to look at that are very important to me was Ezra. Ezra, as you read the book of Ezra, you're going to find that just over and over again he is confessing and confessing and confessing his sin, the sin of the people. Then you go to the next book, which is Nehemiah, Nehemiah doesn't even get to the walls yet, and he's already confessing for the people. And it was weird because he's, this is important, when he was confessing for the people's sins, these were people that were dead already. Now, when he was confessing, it wasn't like if he confesses their sin, all of a sudden they're dead and they get a better place somewhere else. No, 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 no. What he was recognizing, watch this, was their sin while they were alive affected all the people that were around them. And once it did that, it affected parents, it affected the kids, it affected influencers, that affected the nation of Israel so much so that he now is living in a time of all the repercussions of their sin in the past. So he's trying to get the walls rebuilt again and the temple and a bunch of other stuff. So he's all doing all of this and he's recognizing their sin. So in solidarity, he owned their sin because the people were still in a state of sin as a result of all the other sins before them. So he is just saying, we are dirty. Now remember why he did that. It wasn't because he heard a message and some pastor was on a big rant somewhere. He 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 did that because he was already hearing, the walls were down and I got to get them built. I Watch this, we got to have a new beginning. So there was that confession of that sin. The second one, or the third one, oddly enough, was Daniel. You ought to read Daniel's. Daniel's is a good one because in Daniel chapter 9, and it's, it's a very long confession, by the way, while he's confessing, he confessed his sins, and I really don't know how many sins he ever committed. I, I can't find one sin in, in Daniel that, that he committed. I, I have one in my mind that I think he, he might have been hiding when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were thrown in the fiery furnace. But I don't know that. But anyway, so he, he got, but he's confessing his sin, but he's also confessing the sin of the people. Now let me come up for air for you, because that's a lot of theology and a lot of Old Testament stuff in history, which you would do well to not read a verse of the Old Testament, but read it in major blocks, sit down long enough, and then really capture the whole essence. But here's where I'm going with that. I want to speak to those of you who are, here's a word people don't like, but the head of households. Uh, you may be a single mother, you're the head of household. You may be a husband and wife with kids, there is a head of household. I know you're a team, you both have different functions, but at the end of the day, we all know that if you have two heads, you have a monster, if you have no head, you have a dead body, so someone's got to be the head. The Bible says that. So the head of household. If anything, the head of household should do two things with this confession part. One, he needs to confess his own sin, dig deep, 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 deep into his life match it with Scripture, match it with Christ, and then confess the sins of his family. Okay, that's kind of one all together. The second what he ought to be doing is coming alongside his or her, his, their mate, and together have this conversation that as a couple, is there sin between the two of us that we need to deal with? So I look at us as a person, as a partner, and then as a parent. What can we do as parents If there are two, parent, if we're a single family, can we do for our kids to make sure that they see the seriousness of sin and that you just can't let it continue to exist without owning it and confessing it? So you have Ezra, you have Nehemiah, you have Daniel, and there's a whole bunch of others. I'm just picking those three. So number one is to confess our sin, especially before we take communion, but confess our sin. So you do it as an individual. Watch this. You do it as a a couple, as a partner. You do it as a parent. Those of you who are there in the business and professional world, you might do it as a professional for you and your business and the people you work with. And may I say this: to do it as a parishioner. If if one of you does it, that's great. It'll affect you, and it might have a little bit out as you move out. But if every one of us did this now as a corporate body of international can you imagine if we fell on our knees and we dealt with that confession we saw how evil we have been I know we're not all evil I know you've done good things but I'm talking about the evil part that we have done or the evil things that or the good things we didn't do that becomes evil cuz we didn't do the good but the point being is this and we did it as a church because God says when we humble ourselves he then graces us, and that is in the New Testament. And then he exalts us. So you've heard me say the best days are ahead, but they're conditional. It's conditional upon us being all that God wants us to be. And I pray that we would. Well, that's word number one. You ready for word number two? Word number two is the word cleansing. All right? Uh, to be clean. You know, first I have to admit, man, am I dirty? And man, I admit it, I am dirty. And now I want to go ahead and I want to get cleansed. Now, notice this verse in 2 Corinthians 7, one. You can see it on both screens, wherever you're facing here in the auditorium. It says, therefore, having these promises. So read the verses in chapter six. Beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of the flesh and the spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. All right. Talking about the cleansing part. All right. Some of you are now sensing that there is a biblical tension. Are you following me? All right. And here's the biblical tension. Point number one says confess, and it says that he will cleanse us, God will cleanse us, Christ will cleanse us. And this one it says you cleanse yourself. That you will find all throughout Scripture is that there are biblical principles that are in tension to one another unless you know what is known as positional truth and practical truth. Or you might want to understand what is God's sovereign act and then what is our human responsibility. Those two truths right there, that together will help you Unlock Scripture to understand that it's not a contradiction, that we are seeing it from two different sides that gives us the whole. If it was merely me trying to clean myself up, it would be unsustainable and will not really last, and it will only be done on the outside, usually only done on the outside. On the other side, if I say it's all of God, I confess it, okay, I can live as I please, because as long as I confess it, I'm clean. I get a get-out-of-jail card every moment of every day from God, because he gave that to me, and I can live as I please. And that's why there's this tension, because while I confess it, I am cleansed, but at the same time, I need to cleanse myself. And so now what it might mean would be to remove from your life those issues or objects or things that for you become a besetting sin or a weight or a temptation or something that would cause you to walk closer to your slippery slope of what it might be. So if you're going to cleanse yourself, you want to take out of your life the things that shouldn't be there. Whether it means you put a block on your computer against all the kind of garbage that comes through, or you do not fellowship with certain people that are gossipers or problems with slanders or people that will tell dirty jokes Or you're not, and it doesn't mean you don't like them, it just means that your purpose for being there needs to change, or don't be there until your purpose can be realized. So again, it's removing from your life the things that are gonna actually hinder you from living a confessed up, cleansed life. So clean it out, get rid of it. If it's not gonna add value to you. So the verse again is that. But let me give you another thought on this, and I'm gonna quote a few more, so just listen. In Proverbs 28, verse 13. This one speaks to me. It says, he who conceals his transgressions will not prosper. That means if you've got sin and you try to hide it, you will not prosper. Then it says, but he who confesses and forsakes them will find compassion. Notice what it doesn't say. It doesn't say, but he who confesses finds compassion. It doesn't just say, he who forsakes them finds compassion. It doesn't say, he who forsakes and then confesses. You see, I take the Bible literally when it speaks literally. And in this case, it's speaking literally. So what I want to do is I, want to, I don't want to hide my sin. I want to own my sin. I want to realize this is sin in my life. Greed, bitterness, moral impurity, and a host of others. That's in my life. I hate that being in my life. I confess that it's there, Lord. And I'm really sorry for this.